it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anybody ever rip you off. Our web address, Clark.com. Coming up later, tipping everywhere you go now. How much do you tip? When do you tip? How about when you're flying? Should you tip? Wait till you hear. So I do a lot of counseling with people about money. And there's been something so consistent. You know, we talk about all the strategies about ways to reduce your expenses. We have our group of people working together right now that we did with our money challenge for 2019. And we're have a lot of people making great progress with that and how they're handling money. And they're all helping each other. It's like they shepherd each other to reduce expenses, try to come up with $3,000 back in their life before the year's out. And there are so many places we can impact what we spend. But do you know nothing has a bigger impact than what you spend on housing, which is not really a key part of my money challenge. Because my money challenge is where you're living, how you're living your life, how do you reduce expenses in that. But if you go bigger picture than what I've done with my money challenge for you, housing is the largest impact you can have on what goes on with your finances over time. And so you may not be able to help where you live in the country where housing costs may be ridiculously high. But there's a factor in, a, in most of the United States where it's really we self-select. We choose how high up the housing rung we're going to go. And often it's so heavily influenced by the banks that will pre-qualify you for a mortgage and say, you should be looking at a price for a home of blah, blah, blah. And you can be putting yourself straight into a bear trap. Or just because they say they'll qualify you for an amount, that's the maximum amount with everything in your life going perfectly. So I don't know about you, but I don't have a perfect life. And life happens. So you want to leave breathing space in your life, but especially you want to be careful how much of your income you devote to housing. The more you put there means the less you have for everything else you want to do in your life, plus the things you know you quote unquote should do, like have money in an emergency fund, have money for retirement, all those other things that housing cost is the most important factor in whether you're going to build wealth over time or not. There are people who mistakenly assume that a house, if you stretch for it, is a great source of wealth. But I want you to think about this. This isn't a riddle. This is a fact. Houses depreciate, not appreciate. The structure itself requires continual maintenance and repair and has costs associated with it. 
property taxes, utilities. So houses cost money over time. They don't make money. The land a house sits on, the neighborhood it's in, may cause what appears to be an increase in value. But that is a false increase in value. So buy the house in the neighborhood that you're comfortable with. But don't stretch because it's what you really, really want. Because what you really, really want may then, in fact, reduce the options elsewhere in your life and may keep you from creating financial security in your life over time. One other odd factor, though, it was in a story that I read recently from Business Insider, is a behavioral thing that if you live in a fancier neighborhood, you spend more money on everyday life, so you feel like you fit in with your neighbors. So that's a double whammy if they're right, in that you not only are spending too much money on the house, but that the house that you've spent too much money on then gets you to spend too much money on everything else. Dwayne is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dwayne. Hey, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. You got to talk about uh, coming up with money to do some kind of repairs. Tell me about that if you could. Yeah, unfortunately, my house is getting a little old, and you know there's some repairs that are needed. So I was just wondering. I've I've looked into refinancing to take out the equity. Um, I have about eighty thousand dollars. You know, people that I've talked to said. I'd get away with taking out 50000 and not, you know, be penalized. But in order to do that, I'd have to change my 4.0% interest rate to a 4.5%. So I was just wondering if that was worth changing, going up in the percentage of the interest. So you need you need fifty grand to do the job at your house? Not necessarily. How much do um, you really need to do the repairs? About like 10 to 15. Oh, oh. Don't even think about refining that mortgage then. Okay. Let's talk the best alternative there is. I was told to take everything out and then use what I need to um, make the repairs and then invest the rest of it. That's what I was advised to do. But. Okay, so I'm sorry. I don't know if that's a friend of yours who told you that, but that's not good advice. Okay. So for the amount of money you need and the fact you already have a mortgage, don't upset anything with that. What would make the most sense for you to do is to take out either a home equity line or a home equity loan. Okay. Likely a home equity loan. If you need 10 grand, let's say it's 10 grand, you could probably handle paying that back in five years, I would guess. Pay back two grand a year plus the interest. Okay. It would be a hundred and something a month. Do you think you could handle that or no? Yeah. Because you can borrow that, like credit unions, the rates have gone up some, but you can borrow that money under like a five-year home equity, what's known as home equity loan, where you get a fixed rate for the five years. Okay. So you could keep your existing mortgage just as it is at 4%, borrow only the amount of money you need to do the work on your home. Plus, a refi has so many expenses for closing that loan. Yeah, the, all the fees. Right. 
So avoid all that. Leave okay. it be with that first mortgage and take out what's basically a low-cost second mortgage, a home yes, equity loan. Are you a member of a credit union yet, Dwayne? Yeah, a few of them. Oh, you got so you got a few to talk to. Yes. And just get a real solid feel for what you truly need to borrow. You only want to do this one time. Okay. And if it's 10, if it's 12, if it's 15, if it's 8, whatever amount of money it is, although usually for a home equity loan, the credit unions want you to borrow 10 grand is the minimum. Okay. And you just do that loan and then pay it back as agreed. Now, if you needed more time, Let's say you needed to borrow more money, you needed more time to pay it back. The rate steps up, and typically on home equity loan, every five years you add to the length of the loan steps up the rate about half a point. So that's why it's so much to your advantage if you can see your way to pay it back in five years. You're borrowing below the target interest rate you'd be looking at doing a refi, You'd keep your existing money at the great rate it's already at, and then you get the repairs done. Okay. But there's no reason for you to borrow more money than you actually need for the repairs. That's going backwards in your life, and don't go near that. Bill is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bill. Clark, how are you doing? I'm a huge fan and a longtime listener, and I appreciate all the advice you give. Well, thank you very much, Bill, and you are... Quasi retired. <laughs> well, trying to get there. I'm I'm projecting uh, what my retirement income and expenses might be if I do a full retirement in about five years. I've got uh, I've got a five year window that I'm planning for, and I'm I'm trying to see if it makes more sense to uh, just use my savings as cash flow and continue paying my mortgage, or to pay the mortgage off and lose the tax deduction, but certainly negate the need to pay a mortgage. Tax deduction. Unless you're an ultra-high income earner, Mm -hmm. the tax deduction is worth a great deal less than you think. Because you first have to overcome the standard deduction and then start itemizing. And then the amount you itemize is only a benefit up to your tax bracket. So generally, the mortgage interest deduction works best for people who make an enormous income and have a big mortgage. So cash flow is going to be the, the, the leading strategy here then. Exactly. So you don't want to be house rich, cash poor, but if you're in a position where you have available and idle cash earning basically nothing, and a mortgage that be great to be done with in five years when you completely bag work, mm-hmm. it's a great idea for you to consider paying off a mortgage if you have that available idle cash you pay it off and then every month you replenish your available cash over the next five years with what would have been your monthly mortgage payment gotcha gotcha because when you're looking at a five-year window your savings today even if you're doing the best you could to earn on it Mm -hmm. your mortgage is going to be higher than that by I don't know what factor. What is your current mortgage rate? Uh, 4.875. So it's not great, but it's... So at 4.875, there's a direct advantage to you extinguishing that mortgage. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm all for you going mortgage debt-free. 
is it something you could do like say okay i'm going to do it and you write a check from savings or is it something you would just put your mind to and pay extra every month and get it wiped out within the next five years probably a combination of the two i don't have all the liquid cash to be able to do it today but uh, I can continue to uh, to add to that. And before that window closes, that five-year window closes, the markets could go away. And, you know, there are situations where I don't recommend focusing on going mortgage debt-free in its entirety. So there's one last question for you. If you do this and you put your mind to being mortgage debt-free the day you retire and you owe no mortgage, you have no debts, what money will you have in reserve to live on? Probably somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, fifteen to twenty thousand would be my would be my, would be my cash reserves, and then uh, of course Social Security. And I, I plan to to continue working part time. Okay, so you you would be in a position where you'd have very little monthly carry, so you wouldn't have a mortgage or anything like that, but. Mm-hmm. Without working part time, what you have to live on is Social Security. No pension. Right. Go ahead. No pension. Uh, nothing like money sitting in a four hundred one k IRA, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's and that's really the money that I would utilize to 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 remove the mortgage is as the, the remainder of my savings. Okay, in that case, uh, even though there are reasons that we came up with prior that it would be mm-hmm. potentially worth doing. In your case, I'd say don't do it and keep paying the mortgage as agreed. Okay. Because I don't want you to end up so cash thin where you don't have any financial cushion at all, and that would put you in a position where you'd be house rich and cash poor. So in your case, I would say just keep paying your mortgage as you're supposed to and keep your savings because you may well need it at the point you retire. It's time for Ask Clark. You post a question for me at clark.com. Joel asks it, and Joel, what are you going to ask? Yeah, Clark, Raymond wrote in, and he says, what's the best place for me to go to refinance a student loan? Well, the thing with student loans is that if they are private student loans, refinancing is fine, if they are federal student loans, usually you should not do it. Ninety-some-odd percent of student loans are federal. The reason you don't want to refinance a federal student loan is that you have consumer rights, borrower rights, with a federal student loan that do not exist with a private student loan, such as if you lose your job or you get sick, you are allowed to be considered to be current even if you can't make payments. There's no such flexibility with a private loan. However, there are times where uh, even going from a federal loan to a private loan may be significantly cheaper on interest rate. There are two sources I have recommended for if you're refining a private to a private and then rarely a federal to a private, look at SoFi.com, S-O-F-I.com, Incredible.com, C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E.com. And don't look at variable rates, only look at fixed rate refinances. All right, Clark, Pat wants to know, can you give me the lowdown on geek.com? How in the world can they offer everything so cheap? Their prices are insane. 
There's geek.com, wish.com, AliExpress. These are sellers of goods that are sourced principally from China and other countries in Asia. They allow people overseas who manufacture to have a sales channel to Americans. The delivery takes, in some cases, months for the stuff to get to you. The quality may or may not be okay, but the prices are just about the best on the web. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Whenever we post an article on Clark.com about the dilemmas of tipping that we face now, with so many different places and businesses having either a tip line on a charge receipt or a tip jar or we appreciate your tips or whatever, we face these dilemmas where places where historically they were not full service, where we didn't think that tipping was customary, it's become so. But now we're in a whole new frontier. Frontier Airlines, one of the three deep discounters in the United States, now solicits tips for its flight attendants. And let me tell you, this has been controversial. First, primarily with flight attendants themselves, who take seriously the fact that their first responsibility is our safety in the event of an emergency in the air or on the ground. We ask so much of the men and women who work as flight attendants, working in very cramped quarters with a variety of people, uh, variety of people, definitely. I mean, the stories I hear from flight attendants. And it is a, a difficult job, but for the right personality, right person, very rewarding Uh, You can potentially see the world. I mean, there's a lot of good along with the difficult of it. But it is a new frontier. See, I got to do that again. That you tip the flight attendant when he or she sells you something on Frontier. So if you've never flown Spirit of Legion or Frontier, everything costs money, including water. So you want a soft drink, you pay for it. On full fare airlines, you're used to paying for buying food now. You're used to paying for buying a beer or wine or mixed drink. But you're probably not used to paying to buy a Coca-Cola or a water or snack crackers or whatever. But that's how Frontier operates. So Frontier, wanting to pay their flight attendants less money, now when they run your card and you go to sign, the device asks you how much tip you want to leave with suggestions for you. And I hate that. I think it gives a bad message, too. Who are the flight attendants? What are they? Are they they there to be cocktail waiters and waitresses? Are they there to be there to see to your safety in the event that there is a mishap. And so Frontier sent us a statement after we inquired. Hi, 
Appreciate you reaching out. Sounds like the standard response they're sending to everybody in the media. This is from Jonathan in the media department. And uh, they started it three years ago as a pooling thing. But now, as of just weeks ago, the tips go to the individual who sells you something. And so Jonathan says that it's generated millions of dollars in tips and it shows how much our customers appreciate the great work of our flight attendants. We view tips as additional compensation over and above flight attendants' contractual wages, negotiated union agreements. And so I uh, appreciate Jonathan responding to us. I think it's garbage. Now, on the other hand, I know this is going to sound crazy, and how in the world could it be a different thing? I've been on airlines outside the United States where the flight attendants get commissions for selling electronics on board, watches, perfumes, uh, sweaters, any kind of consumer goods where they have these bins that you can't put bags in because it's all merchandise that the flight attendants come around and sell. On Ryanair, the stuff sold at street price, the same as it would probably be buying in a store, supposedly. And if somebody's got hustle and they want to get out there and merchandise, well, that one doesn't bother me like the tips do. I don't know why. B is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, B. Hi, Clark. Hi. You want to talk about target retirement funds? Yes, Clark, I do. And I'm so, so excited to be on, on the call with you. I feel like we've come full circle. Oh, wow. Uh, as, in, in high school, I remember you being on WSB, if that tells my age, with Monica Kaufman, I think, sometimes. <laughs> Wow. That, uh, for, for listeners who listen around the country, that's a TV affiliate that I started doing TV for years ago. So my son, now he's in college, and he listens to you on podcast, so I feel like this is full circle. Great. Um, yes, I wanted to talk about the uh, targeted um, investing, because I have a, a, an IRA from listening to you, and it's sitting there, and I've thought about you know, take it a more aggressive position. Should I, or should I let it sit there? Now, by um, sit there, you mean it's in a target retirement fund? Correct. So target retirement funds, the beauty of them is as you get steadily closer to your target year, they automatically change the mix of investing and mm-hmm. make the mix more conservative. So uh, unless you like being active and hands-on, the target retirement fund product is a great way to make sure that you're well diversified and that the level of risk is appropriate for the time period till when you're going to potentially start spending the money. So do you love researching and picking this investment and that one and the other, or is that not your thing? I think I would like that, but not with all of my funds maybe a percentage or a portion. All right, then what I'd like you to do, if you want to start experimenting and maybe even buy individual stocks or whatever, I'd like you separate from your Roth, leave it Mm -hmm. in the target retirement funds, open Mm -hmm. an account with Robinhood where you can do free stock trading and you can do it on your iPhone or Android. You don't need a lot of money to start with Robinhood and you can 
learn the process of investing, how you build a portfolio, and see if you really do want to get involved with researching individual companies, owning individual stocks, building out your investments that way, or if maybe you decide after you try it for a while that's not really your thing and you want to just let the clock run with the target retirement fund, I think that's the best way to do it. But I wouldn't want you to mix and match in the retirement fund. If you're doing target retirement, you need to stay with all your money in your retirement account being target retirement fund. Timothy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Timothy. Hello. How you doing? I'm great. So you want to ask about something that I'm already biased against. Right. Which is? I'm looking at buying a home warranty. I bought a used home that um, is basically as is, and before we even turn the electricity on, I want to make sure I'm protected against something if it's worth doing. So I've never liked the used home warranties because they tend to have these very colorful, splashy brochures that promise the world. And then when you get in the actual contract for the home service contract or warranty or whatever, it's one exclusion and limitation after another after another. Usually you'll have a deductible. Uh, The worst ones require that you only use their people who they don't compensate well, and they're independent contractors, but they're the ones they send your way. And so many times you have big delays on service visits, and you may or may not be getting somebody who's really good at it, you know, who's willing to take the terrible reimbursement rates they get from the warranty companies. All right. Well, you know, that's why I wanted to call you guys because when we flip the power on this thing, it's a 50-50 chance whether the heating and air works, you know, things like that. And I just, I don't want to spend four or $5,000 out of the pocket. Got it. The heating Got it. So you could take guidance from a residential real estate agent. Do you know one in the area we just bought this as is? Yeah, I do. Ask an agent for a referral for a home service contractor warranty that they found that their customers have not been miserable with. I'm never right, going to say the they've two, been thrilled with. That's why I wanted to call up also is because the two that I was looking at, anytime you go to try to find reviews on them, first thing it does, it pops up the webpage of the company with all those wonderful reviews about them. Yeah, don't go to their reviews at all. Go to something like, I think, Ripoff Report. Does that still exist, Joel? Yeah, Ripoff Report is still out there. And when people have a beef, they're going to post it there. You're going to find information about it there. Or what you do, okay, this is going to sound so negative and terrible, but you put in the name of a warranty company, their exact name, uh-huh. and put next to it something like Ripoff or, excuse the term, Sucks or something like that. Right and see what what people are saying that have a beef, and that'll get you away from all those phony reviews that the warranty companies have been posting, the service contract companies, and know that even with the least bad of them, you're going to have to really be your advocate to get the money out of what you've paid into it. Charles is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Charles. Uh, hello. 
How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Charles. You have a question for me about maintaining records. <laughs> yes. Um, you've always stated how it's important to receive uh, paper statements for all your banking accounts. And um, I was wondering, how about downloading the PDFs from the bank websites and storing them like on your Chromebook or some, and then just backing that up? Is that a plausible alternative? A hundred percent. Oh, great. Completely. If you, you know, my whole thing is whatever method works for you to store, whether it's with a USB that you plug in, you know, a thumb drive, or yeah. it's storing in the cloud, or printing out PDFs that you put in a file cabinet, the key is to have some kind of backup. Imagine if the hackers and the day will come if they had just wiped databases clean. Mm. And that's why I want you to have some form of backup. And so for most people, just having a paper copy is going to be what they're going to do. But if you are the kind of person who thinks digitally and you could just take that PDF and you make a digital copy of that or whatever, that's great. Sounds great. You're just getting the job done and you're having... The, uh, the documentation, the records, if there ever came a time that your account needed to be recreated. And how far back should I go? Well, it depends on what kind of thing you're dealing with. As an example, with my investment accounts, I keep the last statement of two years ago, you know, the, the end, year-end statement, and then keep the monthlies for last year and this year. And then as I get to the next year, when I get to next January, the ones from two years ago, those go away. Those are shredded, except for the last, the year-end statement for that year. Oh, okay. So I'm pretty methodical about how I maintain records. And a lot of people that are really record crazy keep too much stuff. And I used to be one of those people I've learned when keeping records ends up being too much and yeah. coming up with ways that work for me. Sounds great. But great idea to do the PDFs and then store them in the cloud or uh, I love the external hard drives. Whatever you do so that you have one method or if you're really paranoid, have two methods of backing up your data in the event that someone you're doing business with says, prove it that you really have that account. Prove it that you really own that investment. And if you have no paper trail, no records, how are you going to prove it? Colin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Colin. Clark. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for taking my call. I love your show. Thank you. You are getting an exceedingly large tax refund? Yes, larger than uh, than I anticipated. I guess that's a good thing. And I'm trying to figure out, I want to use the money. I don't know an exact timing when I want to use it, but I'm going to put it towards an investment property. I've got um, a few rental houses that I that I have and would like to buy another one in, sometime in the future. I don't know when that'll be, but probably within a year, hopefully, if I you know see the right house. So I'm trying to figure out what the best thing to do with that money is. 
You just have to stash the cash in an online account. Okay. When you're looking at money that you're going to probably use on a very short notice within a couple of years' time, Mm -hmm. you have to just park it. You can't get cute with it. Because the second you get cute with the money, suddenly some of the money evaporates. Okay, well, that uh, I just felt like I was letting it sit there, and I felt bad leaving all that money sitting in one place, but I'd rather have it than lose it, I guess. So. And are you going to need all the money from this refund? <laughs> I'm always tempted to suggest that you take a portion of it and fund a Roth IRA, because yeah, I don't want I, you all I'm, just... I'm funding two, my, one for myself and one for my wife. I'm maxing those already. You know... People like you and me and Joel just infuriate a lot of people. Because <laughs> when you save money like that, it's like, where do they come up with that money? How do they save all that money? And it's simply a matter of whatever you make, you live on less than what you make, and you create a world of possibilities. So in your case, keep doing what you're doing, but... Uh, if you look at bankrate.com and click on their button for best savings rates, mm-hmm. you'll see what online bank has the best rates on savings accounts. They're all FDIC insured on their database. Mm-hmm. And just go with whoever's paying the highest rate. One thing with Bankrate, though, I don't know if they put certain people higher on their list, even though their interest rates are lower if they're getting paid to do that. Oh, right. So you got to slide down and look for who's actually paying the highest rate of interest. Okay. Because whoever's paying the highest rate of interest today may not always be paying the highest rate, but there seems to be a bias that way that if you go with who's paying the highest, grab that. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.